On today's podcast, I had the pleasure to interview Mark Trumbo from Syracuse University, who's in charge of their student-athlete development programming. Some of the topics that we cover are his takeaways from building a student-athlete development program at both a group of five and power five school, what it takes to be a great leader, why self-awareness is of the utmost importance, and why he is so passionate about helping others discover their purpose. Now, without further ado, welcome to the third episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Today's guest is Mark Trumbo, who's the coordinator of student athlete engagement at Syracuse University, with the primary responsibility of overseeing all of the student athlete development programming. In addition to serving in this role, Mark is also heavily involved in assisting individuals across the country discover or regain their purpose and passions in life through his concept of purpose mapping, which was recently presented on at this past year's national convention within N4A. Besides these two aspects of his life, Mark also serves on multiple committees within the industry, including in student-athlete development committees in the N4A, the NCAA, and also the ACC. And he is a truly remarkable leader within our space. So without further ado, let's welcome Mark to the podcast. All right, Mark, can you give us any more of an introduction just to set the stage of who you are and what you are about? Yeah, uh, hello to everybody listening to the podcast. I'm excited to be on here with Jack. I uh, got to know him very well at the last conference, and it's been great to see his growth over the past three or four months since the conference. So I'm excited to be on here and share a little bit about my story and and uh, the passion and love of work that I'm doing. Um, for those who've done the Clifton Strength Finder, I recently took that. So if you want to know more about me, I'll use that tool. Um, as a way to gain an insight into who I am. So the, if you've ever done the assessment, it pumps out. Um, if you do the $10 plan, it'll pump out five of your strengths out of 34 traits I think they have. Uh, you pay a little more money, you can kind of learn everything, but the top five. So mine, uh, my number one talent or strength is belief. So belief are people who are exceptionally talented and have certain core values that are unchanging. And these values emerge as divine purpose in their life. So just reading the description of belief really just takes that essence of like, wow, he's really, like, that's who I am. I am driven by core values. That's how I operate. I don't operate under, say, numbers per se. I operate under just serving and, and meeting people's needs. And there's a specific intentional purpose with it. I'm not just doing it off the fly of my cuff. I'm not random. I'm not... Uh, just reading the latest and greatest and just automatically doing it. There's a lot of intention and purpose behind who I am and what I do. Next one is communication. So I love talking. I love presenting. I love meeting people. And I love writing. That's another thing. I've, I've never been a great writer, say, term papers, like what we're doing in college. But in terms of just creative writing, I do love that. 
Um, the next one for me is actually significant. Um, so I really want to make sure the influence that I have on people around me and my organization makes a big impact. Um, I don't want to just clock in and clock out. I want to make sure that my presence is felt when I'm around. The fourth one, which will be a theme that maybe Jack and I will talk about here later, especially with purpose mapping, is connectedness. So connecting. Um, there's few coincidences. I do believe things happen for a reason. Um, I have a very spiritual background and a strong faith, so I, I believe in God and, and his power in my life and how he works through me. And then lastly, developer. So I have an entrepreneurial type hat, and I love to make improvements, and I get satisfaction from evidence of progress, so I'm very process-oriented. And I love just trying new things out and bringing new things to the table to always enhance the experience, not only for my students, but I also want this podcast to be a lot about just being a great husband, being a great father, uh, being a good friend, um, really supporting my family, immediate and extended. So, you know, I love the work that I do, but it definitely doesn't define me. Um, I don't derive my happiness from work. I derive it from my purpose. So happy to be here. There's five of my strengths. Um, maybe you, I connect with some of you who are listening, but I just recently did it, so I thought I'd share it with all of you, and I'm excited to kind of use these now as I move into the future here at Therapy. And that is really a key point with all of those strengths that really ties into the quote of the day, which is also by Mark Trumbo. That's how famous he is, that people quote him. And that is uh, your job pays you for a service, but you pay yourself with a purpose. And the fact of just developing people, connecting with others, and just having every strength out there that you can really tie into this type of industry is really key. And just to delve into it even more, uh, what made you want to get into student-athlete development when you could have done anything. I mean, you got your bachelor's degree in personal finance and real estate. So what exactly, you know, made you want to get into the student athlete development space? Yeah, this was something that wasn't necessarily planned. You know, with the population that, you know, people in our industry work with day in and day out, 18 to 22 year olds, 23. You know, if I was sitting in their shoes, I didn't know the world of student-athlete development even existed. So I, I, that was never even something I even thought of at that age. You know, I looked at something very tangible that I could see and it was well-known and respected. You know, I chose a career that I was good at and felt that there was always going to be a need for it. And that's really kind of the, the whole reasoning of choosing that. But essentially why I got into this space in general and getting back on college campuses and working with young people is I found myself in a career feeling, um, man, you can, you can be really good at something but not love it. And I just didn't love what I was doing. I, couldn't, I literally couldn't see myself as a 30-year-old, 40-year-old still doing that. And I didn't want to be trapped in a career where I was just making a paycheck and just not feeling that I was making a difference at all in the world. And I wanted to do something more. And one of the first things that I could remember trying to address this was I was a youth group advisor during college at a church close to campus. 
and I really miss those kids. They were they were great, you know. Only being with them an hour and a half a week, you think it's not very significant, but you don't need to spend a lot of time on something to know that it's important. And when you walk away from something or you're not doing something uh, that you're used to doing, it's you don't know how good you had it until it's gone. And I think a lot of athletes realize that when they graduate, especially with their sport, is you know they had such a great experience in college and they love being in that environment with their teammates, and they're looking to replicate that after college. And it's difficult to do. And you have to be very strategic in terms of how you're going to find it and how to keep those emotions firing, that competitive juice flowing. And it takes work. And for me to get to where I am today, it took a lot of work. And it's, you know, with athletes, we see them on the field and you see them on TV and you say, like, wow. And they get defined by what you see with them for that hour or two hours. They don't get to see the work they put in behind the scenes, the going to class, the treatment, the rehab, all of the factors that go into get them into that moment. And for me, the last 10 years, you know, nobody would have quoted Mark Trumbo five years ago. Like, I wouldn't even, five years ago, I wouldn't even thought I'd be where I am today. It's all just being available and adaptable and present. Um, you know, the book I just read right now by John Gordon is very important about planting seeds where you are, not waiting until you're in some mythical position to start being your best self, but just being your best self where you're at, and you'll be amazed in terms of what you'll be able to accomplish. And it's been it's been a great ride for me. Right. I mean, 99% of the battle is just getting into the right state of mind, and I think people within the – student-athlete development space really get that opportunity to create that competitive advantage within student-athletes just by getting to work with them on stuff that they might not learn within the classroom. And, you know, pointing back to what you were stating before, on a daily basis, you spend about 80% of your day at work, so you might as well love what you do. Um, And just to go back even more, Uh, Before you got to Syracuse, you were working at Ball State, and even before you got the opportunity to go full-time into student-athlete development, you were serving in a dual role capacity like myself as both an athletic academic advisor and the person in charge of student-athlete development. Right. Now, based off of your prior history in that role, what is some advice that you would give to those that are in a dual role such as that? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, for me, it was, especially in the beginning, so at Syracuse, you know, I was hired full-time to be an academic advisor. And that was that was my job. That was what my expectations were. But we didn't have anybody doing student-athlete development here. And we had nobody advising staff here. So, you know, I took – along with a colleague of mine, we both decided to say, hey, let's co-advise SAC because there might be nights I can't go, you can go kind of. It's just a logistical purpose, really. We weren't sure how much time we could actually put to it. And then through working with SAC, I mean, naturally, student-athlete development programming comes with that because they start addressing things like, hey, we really need help with this or, or career or finance or 
man, uh, our female athletes are like, hey, would it be cool if we had a self-defense class? So you're like, all right, well, let's try to put something together. So you just start, you know, in your free time, however that exists in your world, uh, you, you just you're doing things. So in between appointments or maybe you stay late after work and you're doing a couple things, you make a few phone calls. So you have to understand what your job is first. Like what are you paid to do? What does your supervisor expect you to do? And then see like what else you can put on your plate. But if you are someone who's hired into a dual role, then it gets, you know, now you're serving you're serving kind of two different capacities. And it can be very difficult. Like, I'm not going to be someone who sits here and says, like, oh, it's so easy. Or, you know, but it's also, you know, how do you serve two different masters? It's, it, it can be an absolute animal because when it's final season, you're really concerned about grades and all these other things like midterms or then scheduling comes out. Like, you have these waves that hit you, and it's really hard to put full energy into both. And one way that you're easily going to fail is if you look at your job and say, okay, I'm a 50% academic advisor and a 50% um, student-athlete development person. You can't just say, okay, well, I'll give 50% of my effort to this, 50% of my effort to that. That's a recipe for disaster. You know, whichever part that you're doing for your job in that moment, you have to give 100% effort. It kind of goes back to, to marriage. You know, one of the best pieces of advice in our premarital counseling is my wife, who's married nine years now, is marriage isn't 50%, 50%. It's a 100-100 deal. Like, you both have to put everything into it to be successful. So when you look at your job and you say, okay, I have to serve these two different things, you need to find in your own unique way how to be able to give 100% in both and know what your boundaries are, what your capacities are. You know, death by comparison can be really difficult. You have to understand what's available to you, you know, how much resources you have behind you, how much support you have behind you, and to be able to manage the capacity that you have. So, yeah, if you're a dual-role person and you're the only person doing it half-time, then don't look at yourself to another program who has four full-time people doing just student-athlete development and say, okay, I'm going to do what they're doing. It's just not realistic. So you need to make sure that you're staying in the compass of where you are, how you can serve them, find out what the priorities are, and you're just going to have to layer it out. Like with our four-year program, we will tell student-athletes, you're not going to get all of these events every year. But during your four-year career, you should have exposure to at least one of these. So if you need to space things out, and be able to say, okay, the fr freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, um, start finding even assistant coaches who could be someone who, you know, they're always looking for ways to continue to add to their portfolio, um, especially your ops people, and see, hey, you know, for this one event this year, would you mind kind of partnering with me, even if it's just on the logistical side? Because they're masters at the whole event management, food, travel, setup, AV, like, that's their world. So utilize that expertise that you have there in-house, including campus. You know, your campus development specialist on campus, partner with them and just say, hey, I want a networking event. I'd love some alumni. And they have those databases. And just say, hey, if you can help get the people, like I'll bring the students to you. If you can handle that side of it, I'll get the student part of it. 
and then merge it together and have a really successful event. I had to do a ton of that at Syracuse. I still do a ton of that at Syracuse. There's not a ton of things here that we handle 100% in-house. There's always somebody from in the department or on campus who is supporting me in getting these things done because I understand, like, what I'm able to do by myself, you know. So that, as, as someone who's lived that life, um, it, it's something that you had to go through and you find that balance, and you'll figure it out. But also, for me, I just got to a point where, you know what, I love this student-athlete development much, so much, and I feel so fulfilled, and I feel like I can give more of my gifts and talents that I've been given to elevate that if you want to focus on it. And then after having some success after a few years and you have some metrics, maybe some qualitative and quantitative, you can go to your administration and say, you know what, the need is there, the demand is there. I think it's time for us to start looking at having a staff person dedicated to this um, so we can really elevate this to a new level. And you'll be, you'll find support, you know, but you got to make sure that they're a part of it. Make sure they feel that this is a, this is an all-in type atmosphere. Yeah, it's a job change for you, but this changes the landscape and for the whole department. You know, coaches can now recruit and say, we have someone who just is dedicated to your development, your character, career, finance, leadership, all of these things, and nothing else. That is such a competitive advantage in terms of what in the recruiting world, with coaches, for the academic staff unit. There's just there's a lot of value there, and don't undermine that value that you give. Right, and you know just based off of that, the main thing is you just have to be self-aware of who you are, and not just only about who you are, but who the university is that you are serving on a daily basis in order to accomplish what needs to get done. Because at the end of the day, you're based off of results, and those results come from the metrics. And, you know, one of the things that I really found interesting is you built this program at Syracuse called the S-Project, but you also built the student-athlete development program at Ball State during your time there. How were each of these experiences similar and how were they different since one of them was a power five school and the other is a group of five sure so the ball state one um, was very it was a lot more specific um, in terms of our approach with that and what we wanted to really focus on at least for me you know i really wanted to focus on career development there so that was a a main focus of the program there was career and leadership. And so once you have an idea of, like, what you would like to do, and I recognize, using that self-awareness piece Jack talked about, was I recognize I wasn't an expert really at either one. And so I brought the director of the career center and our director of student life who oversaw leadership development for campus, and I just brought him into a room and just said, listen, if we had – if you had your perfect kind of setup, you know, what would our learning outcomes be for our freshman students, sophomore students, like each year? You know, what, what kind of competencies should they have, skills? You know, what kind of level would we like them to be at, what they're capable of doing? And so we just sat in a room and kind of mapped that out. 
and along with uh, Dr. Karen Lee, the SWA there at Ball State, she helped me get, you know, athletics to really jump in there. And Bill Scholl was the AD at the time, and she got me in the room with him to say, like, hey, we should, we should give this a crack. And, you know, his blessing was able to get a couple teams in there to pilot it. But the idea is, is maybe just start small. Start with maybe one specific area and grow it from there. I think it might be a tall order to go from nothing to just boom, like a four-year curriculum and four or five different models, and you're just trying to address too much at one time. I think just getting the – and we even picked specific teams to pilot. We didn't even roll it out to every team. We just picked a couple. I think we had four teams, two women's teams, two men's teams, coaches that we felt you know, would really buy into it, would really take advantage of it and support it. And then we just started there. And it was great. You know, we got doors open to us um, from the campus side that weren't necessarily open before. You know, one example is, you know, our student organizations at Ball State, their presidents got to go on a leadership retreat at the start of every year. And, you know, I talked with uh, Mitch at the time, Mitch Isaacs, and just said, well, you know, our captains of our sports are kind of like presidents of organizations. And he said, you know, you're right. Like, let's send them with him. So we got to send captains with him to do leadership development. And it was awesome. Um, it's amazing. Like, you don't have to feel you have to work with just athletes to get these concepts across. Like these concepts are transitional, and you want them to know that, hey, these these skills and knowledge that we're teaching you doesn't stop when you're done playing sports. Like these will be something that you will carry with you for your whole life. Um, so that was Ball State. That was just you start with a small sample and work your way through. So after the first year, I actually took the job at Syracuse. So I only had one year uh, to work with that program. And then at Syracuse, is when we started, you know, we did a couple years when I was an advisor of doing small programs, a career fair hair, a uh, resume writing workshop there, um, financial education one here. And we felt like we had enough data points to suggest that this is something that we could do, student athlete feedback, coaches feedback. You know, the, the staff and the, the professionals and the ACC conference are second to none. Those people have been just an amazing blessing for me where they just build me up. They just help me with so much in terms of program development, how to pitch it, how to get it going, how to speak with coaches. Um, they were phenomenal. And they were the ones who really gave me the confidence to say, like, Mark, you can do this. Like, this is something that needs to get done, and you can be the guy to do it. And we did nine months of prep where we had focus groups. We had people involved to say, what do you like, what do you don't like, what do you want to see done as freshmen, how do you want this to progress, how do you want it to look, time commitment, everything. And um, for the first year, I actually had to continue the academic advisor slash um, student athlete development role because an academic staff member left for another job. So I just couldn't leave yet. So it was delayed a little bit in terms of the full rollout. But when we rolled it out, you know, we rolled out the whole deal, and we branded it the F Project, and we wanted everybody to know that this is now part of our culture. This is who we are. This is the community that we're building. This is something that we want you to feel is going to be unique to your experience at Syracuse, and is going to prepare you to not just 
be successful after life. That's not. This is not just a life after sports deal. This is a impacting program here and now that will allow you to be the best version of yourself now and then when you leave. That's, that's what we're looking for. We want to impact you and equip you with skills and knowledge to have your best life now and when you leave. I think it's, I think it's very important to stress that with them. This is not, hey, when you graduate, this is when you'll use it. No, you'll, you'll use it right now, and you'll be all the better for it. No doubt. I mean, the entire component of the pyramid of student-athlete development really translates to the day-to-day as a traditional student-athlete as well as during their future life. But, you know, just speaking about it and building the S project and really getting that data point and doing some small workshops, and then also just referencing the ACC conference, which I completely agree with you. The members of that conference are some of the great leaders within this industry. How do you believe that student-athlete development programming has grown over the years, not only within your own respective conference, but also just on a national scale? There's so much in terms of what you can kind of address in this area. Um, You know, I think we're lucky. I think we're hitting a a boom moment here of this is going to continue to grow and grow and grow. And you'll see in college athletics, you you see waves in terms of what kind of changes in landscapes in, in terms of inside a department. You know, it's, you've seen facilities take a huge boom, right? Let's, get, let's make sure that we're keeping up with the Joneses there. We have amazing practice spaces and inviting spaces and, you know, things that really draw people's attention. But then you see now how academics makes an impact in terms of the APR and how that affects eligibility and postseason play. And now the money that could be associated with performing well in the APR. Like you're seeing a lot of metrics being attached to academics. And so, hey, let's bolster this up. So you saw ac- academic staffs really start booming across the country to support athletes. And then you see the concussion thing, right? So you see sports medicine expanding and making sure that we're doing everything we can to physically keep them healthy, strength and conditioning, these new ways of training, uh, being faster and stronger. So you see booms there. And then it gets to a point where you say, like, what else? Like, what else in terms of a student-athlete experience are we missing? What could we be addressing? You know, and it goes all the way back to, I, I, I think, especially in the coaches' world with recruiting, how can we make ourselves unique and give our student-athletes an experience that's different from our peers? And I think you have a lot more parents who are wanting to ask those questions too. Say, hey, you know what, you guys are doing a dynamite job getting our kids strong, healthy, uh, competing, athletic, get that. They're seeing the academic side. We're getting great institutions, amazing academic fields, a lot of support, tutoring services, advisors, and so on. But then there's the middle. So how are you helping my son or daughter just develop as a person? How are we getting them ready for a job? How are they ready to just be successful in life? And there's going to be areas that aren't really necessarily covered in the classroom. 
So there needs to be someone who's championing that. And the NCAA with their Champs Life Skills Program, that was the genesis of it to really kind of address these areas. And it's morphed into this complete just engagement program where you're trying to engage these student athletes in so many different ways to give this holistic experience to make sure that they're addressing. Um, we were doing such a great job with the what, right? This is what you want. I want a degree. I want a championship. All right, how are you going to do it? Well, you're going to study like this. Here's some strategies. Here's some uh, ways that we can support you. In athletics, you're going to train. You're going to sleep well. You're going to feed your body well. But then the third tier, the why, is where there was kind of a hole. And this is a space that we can really teach these athletes. You know, right now I'm, you know, working on this idea of dominating the mind. Like, like just dominating how you talk to yourself, how do you look at your life, um, your perspective, and addressing that. Just to say, okay, these are all the things I want. Just how are you going to do it? But why am I doing this? Why do, why do I even go through these motions? Why does this make sense for me? And really trying to make them feel like they're connected to a cause, to a belief that, okay, I'm doing all of these things for this reason. And really defining what that reason is for them. Because now more than ever, college athletes face so much scrutiny, so much criticism with social media and all the media outlets and the pressures put on them by coaches and parents and, and alike. They need to have this backbone to them that is centered on something outside of just what they do. And this goes way deep into the whole athletic identity, identity development world where I love to be and where I love to develop is really making them understand that you have more to give to the world than just your athletic talent. And to me, our field of student-athlete development is so crucial so critical to make sure that we are championing that with them. And it's so crucial to their development, not just as human beings, but it's very performance-driven as well. There's a lot of research that shows that if your athletic identity is super high in your sport and you face adversity or you face a setback, your ability to bounce back and recover and move forward, the length of that actually is longer if you, have, if you don't have anything else to identify in or support yourself. And that's, that's performance. And it's something that we need to address with them. So I want to make sure that I'm not leaving that up um, for chance. You know, that's a big reason. You ask me, like, why did you get into that? It's because I want to make sure there's someone doing it. I want to make sure that there's someone paying attention to that part of their life. Because I believe that when you are a better person, when you're a better leader, when you have more skills and knowledge of all these areas that we want to address, the result or byproduct of that is better students, is a better athlete. And we're going to start seeing metrics like here at Syracuse. Our, G, our uh, GSR has gone up every year over the past three years. Our GPA has hit new record highs over the past three years. We've seen national championships here over the last three years. And you cannot convince me that the investment that we've put in this area, like the S Project, is not a component of that success. It's the direct component of that. Just like a strength and conditioning coach, sports medicine, like we are part of that. And I'm really proud to say that, that that's something that we have developed and invested in. 
and we keep seeing these record highs here and the resilience factor and all these things with these kids, you know, it's promising, and it makes you want to fight more and, and, and find more ways to give them more. Um, so it's exciting, and, and it's something that it can't be taken for granted. It can't be left to chance. It can't be a non-intentional type deal. Um, it has to be something that is known, it's visible, and it is consistently addressed on campus. Right, and, and that why, that backbone and that impact along with just the intention that you have while working at Syracuse on the S project has brought you many accomplishments. And I think the most important one, because it doesn't just have to deal with student-athlete development, is the top 100 of the John Maxwell transformational leaders. And, you know, there were so many great leaders on this list from 2017, including CEOs of multimillion-dollar companies, among many other things. So with this accomplishment, I mean, what are some of the leadership lessons that you could share with the listeners in order to constantly strive to make an impact just like you do on a daily basis? Yeah, so I think one of the, the biggest things for myself, especially in a leadership position, is being able to define what that purpose is, um, to find it, but also just live it and make it very visible to them. And that's where it kind of goes back to where I said plant yourself where you are and really making sure that's visible to them. Um, because, you know, we're ordinary people that have the power to live an extraordinary life and have an extraordinary purpose. So knowing that and just, you know, reading about ordinary people who've gone on to have extraordinary lives is just amazing, but also know that it doesn't come immediately. It doesn't come immediately. I was reading, you know, one of the last books here that I read was talking about all these amazing people and what they were able to accomplish, but it also talks about how long it took them to get there, like how long it took Starbucks to open its second store, how long it took um, – you know, Steve Jobs to get Apple off the ground, how he's fired at 30, like all of these things that happen along the way and showing that your purpose can be able to help you persevere and get through that. And I think once you're able to do that as a leader, you have the purpose. So I think part of it needs to be also to inspire others to live there. And so that's where, for me, the purpose map really generated a lot of growth and a lot of um, support across the country is, you know, I think we as leaders, especially in this field, understand that and have found purpose, and they're looking for a way to help share that and to inspire others to do theirs. And I wanted to make sure I wanted to find a tool to do that, you know, to find this mission for my life and find others to do this as well. Um, so I've been really excited about that part in terms of addressing that, in terms of the why, because I think... I was that person who was motivated by what and what society deemed was successful and, and what I should do with my life, what, what's the safest route to take, what would my parents be proud of, like never addressing like what was success for me and what would I be proud of. And, you know, the last, one of the things I just read recently, John Gordon has the, everyone might be familiar with his one word where he defines one word, and that's something that he thinks about 
for the year. And like, how can I execute this one word throughout the year? And he mentions how he, he flipped this a little bit with executives one time, where instead of it being an annual word, what if it was called a life word? And it sounds kind of grim to say this out loud, but it, it hits you really hard when you say, it, on your tombstone, when you die, if you only had one word to put on there that you wanted people to remember you for, what would that one word be? And it hits you like a ton of bricks. Like, you, you think about it, you're like, man, how would I like to be summed up in one word? Right. And how and and how would you like to be summed up? Yeah. So, um, for me, um, I think one of my... I think a word that really comes up a lot for me is care. Um, I think that's how kids spell love is C-A-R-E. They've got to know you care about them, and that's spending time with them, being invested in who they are as people, you know, caring for my kids and my wife and my family. Like, that's how I love. That's like, I'm a servant leader. Like, all the styles of leadership, um, I'm tra- you know, you can be transformational in one, you can – be inspirational in another, but I think for me, like, I, I lead by serving, and I wanted to make sure when people know me, they know that I genuinely care, um, that I'm a positive person, that I'm intentional with my words and my actions, and that there's a reason behind what I, what I do. Um, so that's, I think it's a great way to start a conversation with a kid who comes in your office and says, Jack, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what to major in. I don't know what kind of job I want. Have them answer that question. And just put them on the spot and see what they say. And then you'll be surprised, like, all right, if if that's my one word, what can I be doing every day to fulfill that one word, to make people remember me by that one word? And then you'll see ideas that start popping up. Then to just truly show that you care, I mean, the one word that I have for myself is probably mindset because I think that, you know, if if you have the right mindset, then you can accomplish anything. Um, And, you know, the mindset and the care is literally what drives great people to do great things. And another one of the great things that you've been able to do just by inspiring others to live their own purpose is having the Syracuse Stack win the one university award there, which is one of the top, which is one of the top student awards at Syracuse. With this being said, how would you advise the listeners on how to improve their respective stack groups since years? has definitely made a resounding impact within the Syracuse community. Yeah, so SAC has been a special group for me, for sure. Um, winning that award, too, the past three years has just been, you know, just a testimony to them and the work that they put in. Um, I think a couple things in terms of being a SAC advisor is you've got to make sure that they're taking ownership. You've got to make sure it's not your group. You've got to make sure it's their group and that you are a guide but you are not the person who's driving the bus, all right? It's important for you to be on it. Um, kind of think yourself as, you know, my kid gets on the bus every day, and there's a, there's a bus monitor, right? Think of yourself as like the bus monitor. You're kind of making sure they don't go off the rails. Uh, they don't try to go too fast. 
but then also, also not to go too slow. Sometimes you got to kick them in the butt a little bit in terms of like getting them going and, and getting things done. But you got to make sure you establish credibility with them, and that's getting people in the room to support them. Get your AD in there like the first or second meeting. Make sure that they pump that group up and say that, hey, you guys are important. We need you. We need your input. We need your ideas, your solutions, you know, how to improve the experience here for our student-athletes because they're the boots on the ground. Like, they see it. They don't see things. You know, they see things that we don't. You know, there might be see things as, as an advisor, as a professional, that you need to inform them on. You know, for me, it's important for me to give them direction, to give them leadership development, so we'll spend specific time really developing them as leaders, how to communicate effectively. You know, in those meetings, you want to make sure that that information is getting disseminated to their team. So how are they doing that? What's the best way for them to do that? Making sure that they have a dialogue with their coaches about what's going on in SAC, so their coach can get behind them and support them. You know, in the locker room or team meeting, make sure that they know who the SAC members are. And just say, hey, like, actually, once you stand up and, you know, five minutes, tell us what's going on with SAC and, and what we need to do. You know, those, those are helpful touch points um, for them. And then find out, like, what works for your campus. You know, specifically in the ACC conference, you know, half of us have once-a-month meetings, half of us have twice-a-month meetings. Uh, we're a twice-a-month meeting uh, group. You know, for me, I couldn't imagine only doing it once a month because there's so much that we're doing. Um, but there's ways that you can make it work. Um, find out what your priorities are for the year, developing subcommittees, making sure that your e-board is taking, you know, lead on certain things like that. I meet with our e-board every week alone. We talk about what we want to do in our SAC meetings, um, how we're doing in terms of planning for events, uh, what we'd like to focus on. There might be opportunities that come up with me that I use that group for to, in terms of filtering. Hey, do you want to do this? Would you like this? Maybe a speaker. It might be a community service program. It might be a leadership opportunity. But making sure that they're a part of the process um, so they're not just you know, you don't want to just put things on their table and say, hey, you guys have to do this. That, that usually does not go well in terms of having people buy it. Um, but getting the right people in there, we switch to applications as well. So you have to apply to be in SAC because um, we want a very intentional group in there. In the beginning, we was almost like, a, hey, whoever wants to come to a SAC meeting, you're in SAC kind of deal just because we were trying to grow it. And we went from eight people to 55 people. So it got almost too big. So switching to the applications really helped making them feel valued, appreciated. Um, it also ensures that when you go from 55 to, say, 30 people, you know, if you're going to be in the, the room or part of the community, that means you need to do something. You just can't pass it off to someone else because, well, there's 55 of us. I'm sure someone will do it. No, like, you're going to have to start doing things, too. So that's been, that's been really great for us, too, is just making sure that if you are in it, you're involved, and it's not just a pizza party twice a month. Yeah, I mean, you really have to be actively engaged in, you know, just going over what you stated there. I mean, a lot of that ties into the book that I'm reading right now, The Gold Standard, which is how Coach K united the NBA's best to win the Olympic gold. And one of the things he did was set the standard by having – internal components of the team serve as leaders. And that's really what SAC is supposed to do. 
because each person has a different type of voice and impact depending on their personality style. Um, and I think that that's really, really key. And, you know, one of the things that I've just noticed from talking to you today and in, and then in pre, and then in prior conversations is just how inspiring you are. And one of the questions that I really want to ask you is where do you pull in, inspiration from to, uh, to achieve the heights that you have achieved for yourself personally and also for the programs that you continue to develop? Well, first and foremost, for me, my faith drives everything. So, like, I feel God has given me unique gifts, and I want to make sure I am maximizing them every day. So, for me, it's not just my purpose in life. It's more of his purpose for my life, and I want to make sure that I'm fulfilling that every day. And so a lot of it comes from just that belief that there's, I've been made to fulfill a purpose. And if I'm not going to do it, who will? So that kind of keeps the internal true motivation going for me. Um, but, you know, I get inspired by just the people I'm around every day, um, whether it be the student athletes that I see when light bulbs turn on or see the successes that they have, um, being able to work with, you know, I have an intern now, and she's amazing, and the responsibility of making sure I'm developing her so she's prepared and knows how to, to run her own program someday. So I'm always on my toes to make sure I'm at my best for her. Um, I got a six-year-old and a two-year-old at home who want to have the best dad in the world. So there's inspiration is all around you if you want it to be, and you look at it that way. You know, I don't want to be someone who looks at situations and finds – you know, there's 90 good things there, but 10 bad, and all I focus on is the bad. And as someone who calls me and will say, hey, Mark, I need some advice as someone new in the field, you know, how can you help me is, man, don't just focus on the bad. It'll burn you out so fast, and it'll frustrate you to no end because, you know what, no matter what job you have, no matter where you do it at, you know, the grass is greener, so to speak, you're always going to have people who aren't going to see your vision believe in you, um, take advantage of what you have to offer, that's okay. Um, that's all right. And I've always been someone who said if, it, if you had a program and 100 kids come and, and only one kid took something from that and made a change or made an impact or drew on that and has done something with it, then that's a success for me. That's one, that's one more person doing it. So I – you know, Pat Summit has a great line in there where she was sitting in a she was sitting in a room and somebody was listing all of her accomplishments, all these Final Fours, championships, conference titles, points, games won, all this stuff. Pat, you know, what do you what's your most memorable thing from it? What do you cherish the most? And she's like, I don't remember the numbers. I remember the faces. And. That's what I do. I, I remember the same thing. I, at the end of the year, they'll say, well, what was your favorite program? Or what was the best one you did this year? And, you know, what was what are you most proud of in terms of the numbers that you gained and things like that? And I just think of the people first. And uh, the thank you letters that you get, 
that's stuff that you can't let go of. And I think it's it's a field where sometimes it could feel pretty thankless. Um, you know, at, at most you might get a you know a pat on the back or a shout out in a staff meeting or you know it's not the most lucrative field in the world that's for sure. But what they pay you in terms of internal fulfillment is hard to beat. And you know people think especially when you're giving out a program or you're working 60 hours a week, you think like, oh, like how is your tank so it's got to feel empty. But when I'm in a room with 60 student athletes and I'm teaching them the purpose map, man, that is filling me up so much more than I am giving out. And because I'm, I'm doing the why, right? It's, it's so rare to be able to have a job where you get to fulfill that every day. And, and I have that. And I'm always looking for ways to make that better, uh, to improve on it. Even looking at my own purpose itself, like I'm gonna, I'm about to make my new purpose map here next week for 2019. And so I'm sure I'm going to find ways to tweak it and, and to get even better at it. Um, it. It just, that's what you constantly do. You know, Doc Rivers is known as the best communicator in terms of coaching in the NBA ever. That's like his number one strength. And someone asked him, like, okay, well, what do you need to do better next year? He will say communicate. So, that, like, that's the kind of attitude I have is, hey, like, you're smart. You're inspirational. So what do you need to get better at? I need to get better at inspiring people. You constantly are just trying to get better at it. Um, and so that's, that's just the choice that you make, you know. Jack mentioned, you mentioned mindset. Like, that's just a mindset you have to have is that you, you're not satisfied with just, Oh, last year was great. I could take this year off. I'm like, no, like, no one feels that way. You win a you win a championship once, you want to win it all the time, and you're always using every year to try to make the previous, you know, better every year, one percent better every day. So, right, and by you know working on that, just be happy with where you are at, but always realize that there's something more out there, and. You give so much to the student-athletes you work with, the other professionals within this industry, your wife and children from a husband and father standpoint, and then just probably your intern as well from a supervisor standpoint. So for those that struggle with work-life balance, what are some of the tips that you would like to share in order to achieve a better work-life balance if you believe in that yeah uh man we just had a great um the ethnic concerns committee with the m4a just had an awesome chat on twitter on this topic um because you know we all work in a field where you just put your head down you shut up and you do the work and um, we're used to working long hours and going in overdrive mode and you know that's just what we do at the end of the day you want to get the work done so you just you just do it um, so it's, it's difficult to find it's difficult to manage um, it's hard to turn that kind of voice off in your head that's saying hey you should be doing more hey you should be doing this hey you should be doing this when you just want to be home with your family for 30 minutes before the kids go to bed it, it, it's tough and I still struggle with it and I don't want anybody to feel like I've figured it out. Um, I haven't. 
um, especially in a, in a one-man shop, one-and-a-half-person shop now. It's, you know, when you're not at work, then who's getting it done? And it's hard for you to walk away. You know, I've never taken a vacation off during the academic year in nine years uh, until this past year. I took a week off. So it's, it was hard for me to do. You know, two years ago, I actually took some time off when my son was born. You know, I took two weeks to actually be home with my wife and, and the baby because we didn't have family around to, to help her. So I had to be the person at home. Um, but I think just figuring out what your boundaries, like, and expectations very clear to your supervisor. Like, have a good, solid relationship with your supervisor. Let them know when you're struggling. You know, it's so taboo. Like, if you break your leg, you're going to call your boss and, and, and the next five minutes say, hey, I broke my leg. I can't make it into work. Or, you know, it's it's so common. But it needs to get common nature to call your boss and be like, listen, I'm struggling. Like, emotionally, mentally, I don't know if, you know, if it's impacting your ability to serve your students and do your job effectively, you have to know when it's time to walk away for a minute and take a break and understand that, in the long term, your student athletes or the people that you serve will be the better for it. And you need to have supportive staff who, who understand that. I hope everybody who's listening to this has that. They have the ability to go to supervisor and be like, you know what, I'm not physically ill, but inside, like, there's something off. I need to talk to somebody. I just need a day off to clear my head. Like, whatever it is, you need to find that. And for me, like, I set clear expectations with my supervisor to say, this is what we're able to offer at the current resources and staff structure that we have. I understand we want to grow and do all these new and amazing things, but that's going to have to wait. And it's not because you don't want to do it. It's because you have an expectation and a level of standard for yourself that, yeah, you know what, I would love to start a leadership academy at Syracuse, but it's just it doesn't have – the structure in place for it to be successful to the level I want it to be yet. And it's I, it's kind of scary to say it and, and to say it out loud even to a boss, but I think, it's, I think it's so endearing and powerful and strong to hear someone do it. And I'm proud when my intern can even come to me and say, you know what, like I'm struggling, I just worked three nights in a row, like I just can't do it, can I come in a little late tomorrow? Yeah. Like, I want you operating at your best. Like, we want our student-athletes operating at their best. You need to be operating at your best. So make sure that you're able to do that and find a balance in terms of being able to do it. And, it, and it's just kind of trial and error. And hopefully <laughs> sooner than later that you find it enough where you can get out of bed every day and feel like I'm ready to go. If you get out of bed and you feel like, you know, I'm not ready, I'm not feeling it, I'm not motivated, I don't want to do it, you need to start taking some inventory of what, what the reasons are for that. Right. And I think that, you know, just having that culture and environment where people are very supportive of you is one of the best ways to fulfill that work-life balance. And being able to be at your best and being able to work the way that you should be able to work on a daily basis is sometimes what's needed is, you know, just taking a mental break for a day. Um, and, you know, just talking about that and talking about, you know, being at your best, 
I firmly believe that in order to be at your best, you have to cultivate your why on a daily basis. So since you are known as the why guy within this industry, in fact, I would actually like to call you the Simon Sinek of our industry. Uh, when did you discover your why in life and what happened when you did? So the moment that I'd say when I actually figured out the why was December 2016. And my son was born September 2016. And like I said, I was on leave. Um, for a few weeks in October, you know, I came back in the middle of semester in an absolute whirlwind, um, and just grinded myself through it, you know, balancing a newborn and then a four-year-old at the time, um, and then I got to the end of the semester and I was just, I was tired, um, I was struggling emotionally, mentally, uh, not much sleep, and... I got to a point where I just needed help, and the person who really came to my rescue, and God love her, is my wife. She gave me a book, and it was called Lead for God's Sake, and it was an incredible book, and it made it reminded me of the book that, you know, the Simon Sinek book I read the year prior to that. It was actually, that book was actually a gift from a graduating senior on the track team, so talk about them filling you up like an athlete gave me time and it really changed my life and it's a book that I read the lead for God's sake tied back to that one I said you know what this keeps coming up this whole idea of purpose and what's your why it just keeps coming up and damn it I don't know what mine is and I committed myself during that break to say you have got to address this if you're going to move on and be successful especially in this business you need to figure that out quick. And so I spent that break. I did some internal investigating. I, I answered questions. And through that process is where the purpose map was born. And I found a purpose for my life, but it wasn't enough. I wanted to visually capture because I'm such a visual learner that I felt that I could, if I could visualize it and see it every day more than just read it every day, I feel like it would stick better. I feel like I can actually connect with it and understand it better. And it's done that and then some. And it's been now a vehicle that I've used with athletes, coaches, people all over the country to help them develop theirs and just reinfuses every time that I do it how important it is. Um, so it's, I've been lucky to be able to know that and be committed to it um, and have a purpose that, like I said earlier, is is livable every day, whether I'm at work or at home. It's not something that I need to change depending on where I'm at. It's, it's consistent. And it truly can change your life in terms of your perspective, your outlook, your energy, your attitude, and then, what, and then in turn, like, what you can accomplish um, because it helps you go the extra mile. And living with a purpose has helped me go the extra mile with my students, um, with my family, and, you know, I'm just really blessed to be able to to have that um, because it's something that you carry with you and that can't replace that. No doubt, and just living with that purpose is, you know, such a great thing. And 
to finish up this podcast, this section is called Rapid Fire. So I'm going to ask you three questions. And the first one is, what is the model you wish to inspire with the way you live your life? The model. Um, I'll tell you, on a leadership perspective, and I think can easily be in a life perspective, is the social change model. I definitely want to learn how to lead myself to the best I can first. And then the next phase is my unit. So lead within my family, lead within my department here in student-athlete engagement, lead within my SAC, you know, in my smaller groups. And then the third phase is how to lead more on a global scale, like within my department of athletics, in the Syracuse community, with my extended family. So I think learning how to master yourself first and then kind of, you know, basically you say how to change the world from the inside out is not starting with those global things, but starting with the ones close to you first and then let the ripple effects just take effect. Um, that's kind of the model that I focus on for me is me unit team. Yeah, and just really keeping the main thing the main thing, it, it uh, seems like. So the next question is, if you could manifest anything in your career, what would it be and why? Uh, define manifest. So build something, um, bring it into life that, you know, could be a dream of yours, really just create something from your mind that might not be possible or realistic right now based off of the standard of excellence that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think a personal goal for me is, you know, I would love, I would love to just go around the country and teach everybody how to make a purpose map, to be honest. I just, I just think it's such a powerful tool, even if it's not a purpose map, even if it's just a conversation on what your why is, what your core values are, who you are as a person, just spending time investing in who you are. Like, I did this at fifth graders. I've done it with high school. You know, in, in a lot of respects, like, maybe high school is the best place to do it because, you know, college isn't really necessarily the best avenue for everybody. And... I never had someone talk to me like that at a young age, and I think it would have changed my whole perspective of what college is, um, what I should be doing after high school if I had conversations like that. So, if, you know, have a curriculum of personal development in every high school. I think that would be just an amazing, amazing tool for teachers and administrators at the high school level to help connect with students and also just prepare them for life and you know, in college, if that's the next route they want to take. But, man, you know, one of the my favorite lines I heard, especially, was you don't know, you don't know what you're supposed to do until you know who you are, and that's just you've got to address it and you have to be intentional with it. So, I think starting at the high school level, if we were doing that at every high school, man, you'd see such a change in the world for the better. It'd be unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I completely. Uh... Uh, agree with that. One of the courses that I think should be required is just a course on self-awareness to just really become aware of who you are, especially this purpose map is really ties into that 
because there's so many people that are leaders within society today that didn't go on to college and they are making more money uh, uh, compared to other people that have PhDs. So that's really key. Um, the last question of the rapid fire section is why do you do what you do on a daily basis and what legacy do you wish to leave? Yeah. Uh, why do I do what I do on a daily basis? Easy. So I want to fulfill God's purpose in my life by developing meaningful bonds and experiences to those around me to find their why in life. That, that's my why. Um, that's, that's the center of who I am and how I operate and everything that I do. So that's where it all starts. Like, I don't, I don't really need to expand on it much further than that. That's, that's just where, that's who I am as a person. Um, that's the legacy that I want to leave is that long after I'm gone and not part of this world, that the people that I impacted are continuing to do that. And especially on a leadership perspective is that they're empowering those that they serve to do the same. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And um, if, if I can do that, if I can just be a blip on the map to as someone who's, you know, was part of that movement, who really was part of this generation of upcoming leaders who are focused on people and development of, of, of people, not just of products and, and goods and services, but of people, then you know, I've done what I've been uh, really proud to you and I just want to acknowledge you for a minute for everything that you've been able to accomplish and just being able to help others realize their passion help them rediscover their passion if they might have lost it along the way and just being the leader that you know the world needs because there's not enough people like you in society as is um <clears throat> Last question is, what's your definition of virtue? Definition of virtue. Um, man, good question. So for me, for virtue, I just, man, I don't know how I'm going to answer this, Jeff, for real. Uh Let me toss it back to you. How would, how would you define it? So, What's your definition of virtue? Virtue for me is values that inspire the readiness to transform one's own understanding of excellence. That is virtue to me. Practice that. <laughs> that's good. No, that's really good. I think, you know, virtues are... If I was to define them in my life, and I think different people would probably have different answers for this, which is good. Like, you don't want everybody thinking the same way. The diversity of thought is what makes, you know, the world so awesome and great ideas come to life. But um, I think virtues are just things that you use, hopefully, on a daily basis. Not just to inspire excellence within yourself, but inspire excellence for other people to make them want Make, not just not that they have to, but make them want to um, be excellent in what they do. You know, the conversations that you have with 
the students, your staff, or whatever it is, like we're all trying to change the conversation of, you know, I used to, like currently, especially with people that you might struggle with, it's well doing this, you know, wanting to do things that you don't want to do. Like you want to completely change that narrative and turn it into, you know, I get to do the things that I want to do and make that their mindset of what, you know, the outlook of what they have. Don't look at, don't look at discipline as a negative thing. Look at discipline as something that helps you reach your desires. You need your discipline to match your desire. And do your virtues or even core values, do they align with that? And if they don't, then one of those two needs to change. Either your desire needs to be something different or your discipline needs to be different. Um, but most of the time, your desire doesn't change. You want to have an amazing life. You want to make a lot of money. You want to have a cool job. You want to have a nice house. Like The desires necessarily don't change, but what happens is people's discipline changes. And it's not matching what they desire. And when entitlement comes up is they want the desire but not the discipline. That's the definition of entitlement. And making them understand that has got to be something that that has to be part of your strategy moving forward, especially in a, in a sector like student-athlete development. If you want to be a great leader, if you want to be financially uh, stable, if you want to have emotional and mental health, if you want to have an amazing job, that's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require hard work. There's no substitute for it. And, you know, looking at the whole, going back to the virtues is do these things match that. Because I think if people were taking true inventory of what they do on a daily basis, what their habits are, what their actions, their attitudes, their behaviors are, they'll start seeing really fast that there's some improvements that they need to do. No doubt. I mean, you really just have to be in total alignment in order to accomplish true fulfillment because life doesn't happen for you. It happens to you. So make the best out of it. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, Mark. Thank you for all of the nuggets that you provided the audience. And I look forward to having you on the show again. Yeah, I love I appreciate it. Um, Jack, you're doing awesome things, man. I appreciate you pumping out this kind of information and, and conversations to the greater good. You know, I love hearing all the ones that you've been able to do so far. I'm, I'm honored that you chose me to be a part of it, and uh, I'll definitely be back. Let's do it again. There we have it, folks. I really hope you all took something away from this podcast that you can utilize in your day-to-day -day as you continue to make a resounding impact on the student-athletes you serve on a daily basis while also planting your seeds and becoming the best version of yourselves today so that you can leave a legacy that is profound. If you would like to connect with Mark Moore, please give him a follow on Twitter at mtrumbo underscore cues. And if you want to help your student athletes develop their purpose, I highly encourage you to bring him to your campus because his presentation is pure fire. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it through your social media so that the message can have a broader reach and impact the lives of everyone within this industry. 
I hope you all have a great holidays, and I look forward to bringing you another inspiring episode soon.